one of my best moments was at a regional event last year and um, it was my last game in the group to qualify for the knockout stage. I needed that vital goal to get me through. Played that ball through to, uh, I think it was Ronaldo. Took a weird shot, hit the goalkeeper and it sort of bobbled on the line a little bit. My heart sort of dropped because I thought I wasn't going to score it. Luckily enough, Dybala was there to head home and I, I sort of just jumped up and screamed. It was like the best feeling ever here. If you haven't already guessed, that is not a real game of soccer. It's actually FIFA the video game, and that is Mark Brzezinski, one of Australia's top players. Hello, this is Think Digital Futures. My name is Shane Anderson, and this episode is all about the wide world of esports. And here to help tell the story is producer Miles Holbrook Walk. Miles, what the heck are esports? The easiest way to understand it is people playing video games and computer games competitively. So video games where there's, I guess, stakes involved? Absolutely. We're talking millions of dollars on the line in some competitions. It is unbelievable. Which is weird because a lot of average people haven't even heard of esports. Yeah, absolutely. So my dad is a huge sports fan. He goes and watches a lot of sports with me and he, he doesn't understand it at all. Some people actually think it's about doing sport on ecstasy, but it's got nothing to do with that. <laughs> I mean, you are, I guess, a traditional football fan. Absolutely. How has your experience in esports then compared to your love of sports on the field? Well, I guess, like many people, there is that initial questioning of how can esports, something where you're just using a controller, be a sport in the same way that kicking a ball and running around a field also be a sport? The thing is, you just realise it's totally a sport. It's got all the same structures. If you're going to call archery a sport, if you're going to call darts a sport, then there is no way you cannot call esports a sport. And that's what I set out to prove. My name is Alex Walker. I'm the editor of Kotaku Australia a gaming and tech publication. Alex has been with eSports in Australia since the very beginning, about 15 years ago. I had a friend at high school. He was a very big fan of Counter-Strike. Where two teams of five compete against each other. One represents the terrorists who try to plant a bomb, and then there's the counter-terrorists who try and stop them. And in the early 2000s, these games were played competitively on a local area network also known as a LAN tournament. I started helping to run competitions and I started trying to get better myself. Alex wanted to become part of the scene. He had to get involved. There used to be a major sort of LAN in Sydney. People would just rock up. So they used to have like something like 600, 700 people that would go there and they would play like the really old versions of Counter-Strike. While the local scene was still reliant on community funds, a global tournament was growing in size. It was the World Cyber Games. They called it basically the Digital Olympics, basically a global carnival that was sponsored by Samsung at the time. People would congregate from all over like a gaming pilgrimage. 
they'd all come together and people would fight it out and they'd go fly the flag and see how they could do overseas and went everywhere, went Italy, went Singapore, Germany, United States, South Korea, China. And while there were huge competitions like the World Cyber Games, people still ran their own competitions underground. In fact, that's what Alex did. My friend and I, who were running the league, we thought it was maybe a bit extravagant that we were taking $25 each as sort of our admin fee. And that wasn't that long ago. That was only like 10 years ago now, which is kind of like a really a sign of just how ridiculously far things have come. Alex isn't wrong when he says things have changed. Since the first World Cyber Games, prize money in esports has ballooned into the millions. In fact, for one tournament, the first place prize was $10.8 million. That's more than at Wimbledon and the Australian Open combined. And in terms of viewers, 32 million people watched the League of Legends World Championship final last year. And one League of Legends team in Australia is hoping to get in on the action. Meet the Direwolves, the only team to have ever represented Australia at the World Championships. I'm Sean Ty, Sean Kleptocurrency Ty. I'm Ryan Short, top laner. I'm Calvin, also known as King, the ADC. I'm Stephen, also Triple, the mid laner. Hi, I'm Andy, also known as Cupcake, and I'm the support player. League of Legends is a game of five players versus five, and the objective of the game is to destroy the enemy's base. Each player has a specific role, so they have to work as a team across the map and go down different lanes, and they all use different characters to fulfil their roles. The Direwolves are a professional League of Legends team based in Sydney, and I attended one of their training sessions at their new state-of-the-art training facility at Moore Park. So training is five days a week, and we come in here like 9 to 10, and often we stay till 10 or 11 at night. This is Calvin, one of the key members of the Direwolves team. During the training match, each of their players sit at their computer while the coach watches on from a separate computer. But they don't just play one or two matches, they play for a long time. This is more home than our actual home. We spend the rest of the time just like playing other games or just practicing by ourselves, and we also eat and live here. They talk about how they lived at the centre, which they don't. They have a whole share house in Surrey Hills where they all live. It is common for teams to live together though. In fact, another team that does is the arch-rivals of the Direwolves, the Chiefs, who the Direwolves beat to qualify for the World Championship last year. Nathan, team founder and CEO, remembers the match vividly. There was a lot riding on that series. It was a best of five. Uh, we won 3-1. But yeah, like after winning that, it was, you know, Direwolves were the best team in the region. Yeah, I think it sort of changed the course of history in the OPL. The OPL that Nathan just mentioned there? That's the Oceanic Pro League, the top league in Australia. But Ty Shearn, another member of the team, is just happy that this is even a job. When I was in high school, I wanted to be a pro gamer, which wasn't actually a thing. Ty remembers watching the second ever League of Legends championship on an achingly slow 240p modem. Basically, the video was really grainy and quite unenjoyable to watch. Like, that blew my mind, and even before then, when I was a kid, I was, like, playing other games. Esports had never seemed like a viable career for people like Ty. 
after all the time and effort you would put into winning, an actual victory would only earn you about $1,000. My parents would just laugh at me, like, what are you going to do with $1,000? Nowadays, obviously, the money's much better, so yeah, we get to do what we want to do here. So it makes you wonder, if it's better than $1,000 now, just how good is the money? We're on the rise. Not, it's, not, it's not as satisfying, but I don't think you'll ever be satisfied with money. We're on the rise. Money has been hard to come by in the short term, but team owner Dave Harris, he reckons the direwolves are a long-term investment. At the moment, we're coming out behind because we're, we're putting um, anything we make and more back into, in, into growing it. So we're, we're hitting that, that hockey stick moment where the big brands are starting to come in. I think pretty soon this sport is going to be sustainable in its, in its own right. The biggest struggle for the Direwolves team isn't financial. It's being recognised as a real sport. And Nathan, the CEO and founder of this team, he thinks there's actually a lot of similarities between esports and traditional sports. It really is a true sport. I mean, you've got fans, you know, passionate fans. You have teams, managers, coaches, you know, infrastructure behind these teams, you know, professional broadcasters, you know, the commentators. Despite the Direwolves being firm in their belief of esports being an actual sport, the research in sports science is incredibly limited. But the reason for the absence isn't all to do with the sport's young age, according to Job Franson, a lecturer in the sports science faculty of the University of Technology, Sydney. Most of the controversy is with one, like when we try and publish articles, when we send them to sports science journals, you always get the feedback, well, esports is not actually sports, so that's the first difficulty. Franson says that there's a stigma around esports and even esports players. But he says that we already have plenty of sports that require the same sets of skills. We're fine with um, calling archery sport and, you know, that requires high degrees of concentration. That requires high degrees of manual dexterity. That requires high degrees of body control. Esports uses the same skill sets as archery. So if we're happy to call archery sports, then surely esports can be one too. They've got great manual dexterity, they've got great body control, they're excellent at interpreting information, and their attention span has to be spot on. So, I mean, we can draw the parallels there. There's plenty of examples we could, we could use like that. Do you think the conception of your typical gamer or person who plays video games does impact people's idea of what an athlete might be? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I've had the comment once um, where someone said, oh, you want to know who's the best esports player? Just measure their BMI. But they have to be in reasonably good shape because they're on call basically the whole day. They have to concentrate and those things just don't work if you don't have some sort of baseline level of physical fitness. But I think, yeah, that they still have that stigma that if you sit behind a computer all day, you must be obese or you must be awkward or socially awkward or whatever that's the stigma they have yeah even within esports players are still fighting stigma hi my name is connie i play on an all-female team in the game counter-strike connie plays counter-strike this is the one where you either play as a terrorist or counter-terrorist but which team connie is on isn't what i found interesting 
There's female-only competitions, which I generally don't agree with. There's a lot of, like, debate on that as well. Why is that? Um, well, that's the thing. Like, it's not really physically strenuous to play video games. It's mainly, like, fine motor movements of your, like, fingers, wrists, and stuff like that. Women should be able to compete at a level same as to men. Like, what's, there's nothing stopping them. There's no physical difference. You know, everyone's made the same. Traditional sports have always had a gender dynamic that produces imbalances. And not just in one or two sports, across the board, player salaries, media attention, resources available are all far more often better for men than women. And Connie thinks that in esports, we have a chance to even the playing field. Women can actually earn more than men in esports, technically, because they have the women's only tournament that which they compete in, and they have the regular tournaments where most of the boys compete in, right? So they can enter both. So that means they have a, a bigger opportunity to win more prize money, right? But we're just not at that level yet. No women's team has won a major mixed-gender tournament. Connie is not against the idea of getting more women involved in esports, but rather women-specific leagues might hold back the development of all-female teams. I can see why they've created them, though. They want more women to play, like, in an environment. But then when you create that environment for them, they're not going to join other leagues, though. Like, they sometimes they will only play in the female-only league, and that's it. They won't grow from that, essentially. Perhaps the more pernicious element of being in a male-dominated field in a digital space isn't the gameplay, but rather the online harassment of players, particularly female players, which Connie says is a mixed bag. Actually, our team, I feel like we've gained a lot of support beating these invite teams and stuff, like in tournaments. She found she gets respect when her teams win, but it's not the same for all female players. There are different cases where other females, like when they queue into like a matchmaking game, they get harassed. Guys, instead of playing the game, they're like harassing this girl, you know. Is it something that you think could be regulated by organisers a bit more? There's definitely a lot of pressure for like the game publishers, such as like Valve, Blizzard, you know, Riot Game, to deal with all the harassment. Many online gaming companies have been introducing measures to end the exclusion of players based on gender. Connie thinks that the situation has actually improved lately. I know that the community, the gaming community is known for being like, I guess the word is used to describe it as toxic. It's gotten way better over the years. I wondered if it was on the administrators to try and regulate public spaces and what could be said to players... But like many things with the internet, there has been so much digital disruption that it's not only hard for esports, but for governments too. So can there be a symbiosis between traditional and esports? Is it possible for them to coexist and even prosper together? One sport is taking this challenge on in Australia. Ultimate Team on FIFA is basically, I think of it as a fantasy. This is Mark. You heard him at the top of the show. He's a professional FIFA Ultimate Team player. So you create your own dream team, basically. It could be like with your favourite players from the A-League and then mixing them in with some legends like Rude Hullard and uh, Vieira and that. The Football Federation of Australia has sought to cash in on the popularity of the video game franchise FIFA to create the E-League. It's a competition designed to link both traditional and esports under one banner. Mark is representing Sydney FC in the inaugural E-League and explains how linking both his love of football and FIFA makes him a better player. 
I try and implement what I'd do in real life. If you've got the ball in the midfield, you're looking for that perfect ball through. You're looking for those little runs, the little micro play, you know what I mean? Mark doesn't actually play FIFA as much as many other gamers, though. I work full-time, so midweek I rarely, rarely play. If I do, it's maybe a couple of hours in total midweek. But when it comes to the weekend, and the weekend, eight hours to 12 hours on the weekend playing the game. For many gamers, professional contracts rarely offer that much money, and it's usually hard for them to get paid. It really still depends on if I perform at the event, and it's mainly incentive-based as well. Respect seems to be a huge stumbling block for the progress of esports. Just a few days before the launch of the E-League, an article came out declaring esports as the pokies for millennials, an outlet for miserable people to feed the best days of their lives to a screen. I checked in with Mark after his first game in the E-League to see what he thought about this. Hello, is that Mark? Hey, mate. Yeah. How was it playing in round one of the E-League? Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Very, very different, obviously, playing at a at a tournament compared to at home and online. But, um, yeah, it was very awesome. Now, uh, I was just reading recently some of the coverage leading into the launch of the E-League from a publication that spoke about gamers as being miserable people who are wasting the best years of their lives on a screen. What do you think about articles like that? You get people that are... That, that are miserable themselves that are writing those articles, to be honest. I mean, they probably have kids and that as well that sit there and play video games and here they are writing writing absolute crap in articles, you know what I mean? So it's like, it is what it is. Look, I'm, I'm not saying they can't have their opinion. Everyone's got an opinion, but they don't even know what, what esports is. Do you consider yourself uh, an athlete? I consider myself an esports athlete, yeah. I mean, we put time and effort in just like a, a normal athlete would. Despite the stigma attached to esports, the opening night of the E-League actually got more viewers than the analogue game gets in Australia. The audience is there and the passionate players are there, keen to see how far they can take their love of esports. And while the scene is still relatively small in Australia, it may be that the sleeping giant of esports is beginning to wake up down under. listening to Think Digital Futures. This show is supported by the University of Technology Sydney and 2SER and broadcast right across Australia on the Community Radio Network. To find out more information about this show, head to our website at 2SER.com slash thinkdigitalfutures. We're also a podcast, so subscribe to us on your favourite podcast app and while you're there, leave a review. Thank you to producer Miles Holbrook-Walk for this episode. You heard music from Little Glass Men and Komiku. My name is Shane Anderson and thank you for listening. <laughs>